Welcome to the Dublin City Public Libraries and Archive podcast. In this episode, Kieran Priestley outlines the history of Dublin's Bohemian Football Club, looking at influential players, club rivalries and key games since the club's foundation in 1890. Recorded in front of a live audience at Dublin City Library and Archive, Pier Street, on the 11th of September 2010, as part of the Sport and the City Seminar. Okay, thank you very much, and uh, thanks, Ellen, for her assistance there, and not only that, for the invitation to speak here today, and to give me the opportunity to present this research, which, as I mentioned, is something that I'm, I'm trying to run at the same time as studying my PhD research, but it's something that, for me, is uh, of great interest, and so it's probably facilitated the research. Uh, I, sh- I should thank the IRCHSS, which is uh, acknowledged here at the bottom. I am in receipt of a grant uh, for, my, for my PhD research, and while this isn't directly uh, funded by them, it was almost done on their time, so I should recognise it. <laughs> they may not thank me for the title, but... Uh, um, so I'll start with the... Uh, if we look, this is one of the first Bohemians teams that played in the Phoenix Park, which the 120th anniversary is officially the 7th of September of this month so it was celebrated on on Thursday night on, on not on the exact date in Daily Mount with a small get together where this research was presented uh, so start. when a small group of aspiring footballers from Bells Academy a civil service college in North Great Georgia Street joined with students from the Hibernian Military School at the Gate Lodge in the Phoenix Park they formed the club to partake in the fledgling Dublin scene of association football the origins of this meeting at the North Circular Road entrance at the Phoenix Park lie in the establishment of the Richfield Sports Club on, on the 19th of October 1899. This club had emerged from the playing of association football at Bells Academy and the need to accommodate participants from outside the college in the organisation of the game. Andrew Philip McGill and Hamilton Paul Bell were appointed as Honorary Secretary and Treasurer to Richfield Sports respectively. Census records show that McGill and Bell to have been aged 18 and 17 at the time of the inaugural meeting of Bohemian FC. Both were born in Dublin. McGill was the Protestant son of a Swiss mother and Bell was a Roman Catholic who claimed proficiency in the Irish language. And Andrew A.P. McGill is someone I'll come back to a little later on. The Dublin Association Football Club had been formed in uh, November 1883 and appears to have been the first in the city. The report of the club's first game noted that only 12 men turned up to take part, including a bearded pipe-smoking goalkeeper. The first inter-club match in Dublin was played between this club and a new one at Dublin University later that year. Dublin Association beat their university counterparts by four goals to nil on that occasion. From 1885, Castlenock College appears to have been an early patron of the sport and Clongo's Wood College adopted the game within a decade. Many of those who founded the Bohemian Football Club and the important club at Dublin University were past pupils of either school. It is difficult to ascertain the precise inspiration behind the adaptation of the name Bohemians as the most suitable for the new club. Certainly, the term Bohemian was often used in contemporary Dublin parlance in culture and society. Um, As was mentioned, uh, the theatre seems to have been an influence there as well because The Bohemian Girl by Balfe was the most popular opera and this seems to have received kind of constant cultural references. I've noticed theatre and and sport has crossed over a lot today. E.J. O'Mahony in the Bohemian Football Club Golden Jubilee Souvenir, published in 1940, credited Frank Whitaker with a humorous speech during which he proposed the name Bohemians because the players' wanderings in search of a suitable meeting place and playing venue reminded one of a bunch of tinkers and that they were truly Bohemian in spirit. 
The club were subsequently to wander from the Phoenix Park to Jones' Road in 1893 before moving to Whitehall Glasnevin in 1895 where they played until their permanent move to Dalymount Fibsborough in a common ground that was colloquially known as the Piss or Dignamous Field. The club nicknamed the Gypsies has proved an enduring legacy of these nomadic origins despite the club spending over a century at their permanent home at Dalymount Park. Whitaker later qualified as a doctor before entering the Order of St. John of God, where he became known by his religious name, the Reverend Francis de Sales, after a long and distinguished service to the club. The first appointed chairman of the club was Alex Blaney, a 20-year-old Roman Catholic medical student from County Antrim. Blaney later graduated from his studies with a first-class degree and was appointed as Professor of Biology at at Cecilia Street Medical School and assisted surgeon at the Matter Hospital soon after. By 1904, he had become a fellow in the Royal College of Surgeons and was appointed full surgeon to the Matter Hospital and assistant professor of medicine at UCD. 20-year-old Dudley Hussey held a a position of honorary secretary and Frank Whitaker was, as we mentioned earlier on, also became honorary treasurer. And um, these are the respective uh, people that I mentioned, Frank Whitaker and Dudley Hussey, uh, in their earlier days and then older. uh, And these were published roughly in the Golden Jubilee of the club the, the top picture, so they'd, they'd achieved their relative positions then. Ireland's elected MPs had taken their seats in the Parliament at Westminster, London, since the passing of the Act of Union in 1800. In Dublin, the loss of the Irish Parliament at College Green was keenly felt in the civic, social and economic life of the city. The Irish Parliamentary Party had made considerable progress in their campaign for home rule and the return of political autonomy to Ireland. This was due in no small part to the charismatic and dynamic leadership of Charles Stuart Parnell. The legacy of Parnell's demise casts a lingering emotive and poignant shadow over the period covered in this research. The political vacuum which followed this event instigated a flurry of influences, innovations and ideologists to articulate their vision for the future of Ireland, and it was in this environment in the year before Parnell's death that the Bohemian Club first took to the field to play football for the first time. The starting lineup of their earliest encounters indicated a complete crossover in terms of administrative and playing members, and it also illustrated the young age profile of the Bohemians, as the club president, treasurer, chairman, all took to the field to play at Dublin University in one of their early ties. So this again uh, is the, uh, the early photograph that we had. I also noticed some crossover names with the Maids of the Mountain, which I don't know if maybe there's personal stories that intersect. But. The Leinster Football Association was formed in October 1892 at the Wicklow Hotel on Exchequer Street. The organisation was affiliated to the Irish Football Association in Belfast and sought to organise formal competitions in the province under the auspices of a national body. Despite the comparative strength of the sport in Belfast, it was the game of rugby football which was most popular in Dublin at that time. Indeed, the term football was always made in reference to the rugby game in, in local press. Dudley Hussey was appointed as the first honorary secretary to the association. According to the 1911 census, Hussey was 20 years of age when he, when he assumed this position. A Roman Catholic who was born in England, he was to become a clerk in the Department of Agriculture and was married to Mary from County Cork. They had four children at the time of the census in 1911. Hussey would eventually achieve the position of principal officer at the Department of Agriculture. His fellow fellow civil servant, A.P. McGill, who I mentioned at the start, was to embark upon an ambitious career which saw him move to Westminster by 1913 to serve as the private secretary to Augustine Burrell, who was the chief secretary for Ireland. Following partition in 1921, McGill was instrumental in establishing the new government in Northern Ireland and was eventually to serve as the assistant secretary for home affairs. 
In his later memoirs, he recorded what he, what he described as a positive nostalgia for Dublin and the Phoenix Park in particular, which he described as, and this is a quote, the only place in Dublin which comes before me in my dreams. Alexander Blaney and James Sheehan, Sheehan were also said to have represented Bohemians at this time. The following month, on the 25th of November 1892, Douglas Hyde delivered his pivotal lecture on the necessity of de-anglicising the Irish people. This was essentially a call to cultural arms by Hyde, which sought to inspire a generation of young Irishmen to recreate a separate Irish cultural nation through a process of de-anglicisation. Crucial to this was a refusal to imitate the English in their language, literature, games, dress and ideas. The Gaelic League, which was founded in 1893 by Douglas Hyde and Owen MacNeill, sought to take practical steps to promote the Irish language and to assert Ireland's cultural right to political autonomy. The Gaelic Athletic Association, which was founded in Thurles in 1884, had done much to revive and organise national games in a strong rural network throughout Ireland. In many respects, the spread of the GAA and the foundation of clubs such as Bohemians form an unlikely parallel in terms of channelling the energies of participation and attention to local organisations for the practice of sport. It is somewhat unfair to assume that those who would have participated in sport at any level or in any location were to conform so immediately and readily to hierarchical views of their superiors in what was a very socially and economically unequal country. An interprovincial match between Leinster and Ulster took place under association rules in Belfast on the 9th of December 1893. Four members of the Bohemian squad, Robert Murray, John Blaney, Albert Wilson and Willie Sheehan, were named in the starting lineup alongside four players from Trinity, two from Nomads and one from Montpellier. The team selection should serve as an accurate reflection of the influence asserted by the Bohemian club in the earliest expansion of association football in Dublin. That being it was an important role, but they, they didn't exclusively own the development of football. The influence of the medical profession and the early evolution of Bohemians should not be underestimated. Of the club's earliest members, Alexander and John Blaney, Frank Whitaker, Joe Whelan, Michael O'Sullivan and George Sheehan would all later qualify as medical doctors. The Leinster Challenge Cup final of 1894 was contested by Bohemians and Dublin University. In addition to securing the army grounds at Sandymount, the organisers intended also to provide seating for the comfort of any ladies which wish, who wished to attend. So it's a poor first attempt at inclusion. The first tie ending a two-all draw, a replay was fixed for St. Patrick's Day in 1894 at Sandymount. The preview of that game noted noted that six of the previous seven meetings between the two sides had ended, had, had ended in draws and the only victory achieved by either side was that of Dublin University in the previous year's semi-final. On this occasion, a comprehensive 3-0 victory was recorded by Bohemian side who became the first to claim silverware in the long history of Bohemian Football Club. The club will go on to dominate the Leinster Cup competition, winning it, winning it for the next five consecutive seasons and sharing the trophy with the Shelburne Club alone over the next 30 years. The start of the 1894-95 season proved a milestone in the early history of association football in Dublin. The Leinster Football League appears to have been constituted around this time to complement the Leinster FA's successful cup competition. Still in existence today, a printed notice on the 4th of September 1894 edition of the Irish Times under the headline Leinster Football League gives details of a general meeting of the league which was held at the other evening at 27 Delir Street. Bohemians, Britannia, Dublin University, Leinster Nomads, Phoenix and Montpellier competed in the first year of the competition. Bohemians defeated Dublin counterparts Montpellier by three goals to nil in the fourth round of the National Irish Challenge Cup in November 1894. This set up an exciting tie with the Glentoran Club of Belfast, then holders of the Irish football title. The result of this game appears to have been clouded in some controversy. 
as a protest was lodged by the Belfast Club with the Irish Football Association over alleged crowd interference with the game. The referee's opinion that, and this was a quote, the spectators in no way interfered with the result of the game, was allowed to stand and all other grounds for the complaint were dismissed. The exact nature of spectator interference was not alluded to. This set up an exciting challenge, challenge Cup semi-final for the Bohemian side against Derry Celtic in Belfast in February 1895. The game which they played in it was played in Grosvenor Park and the Bohemian team were successful on the day. And this set up for the very first time, uh, aside from Dublin, was going to go travel uh, to Belfast to play in the final of the Irish Challenge Cup, which was uh, the first time that, that that had ever been achieved. The Irish Times... Uh, noted that occasion by stating if anyone at the start of the season had predicted that a Dublin team would fight its way into the final of the Irish Challenge Cup he would have been laughed at especially in the north of Ireland yet this apparently impossible task has been achieved by the plucky Bohemians and our northern friends are at that present moment much exercised in their minds at the prospect of the Dublin side upsetting all tradition and taking the Irish Cup across the Boyne and this is something that seems to crop up all the time, this concept of taking the cup across the Boyne, much the way in, in Gaelic football now we speak of the, the cup being brought across the border. So it seems to be one of these parameters that existed in, certainly in association football. In defeating Derry Celtic, Bohemians progressed to the Irish Challenge Cup final, where they would face the ominous task of overcoming the Linfield Club of Belfast. Um, and this is a picture of the, the team just from just four years before Bohemians played them. So I... I think it's quite a contrast between the two sides. Um, arguably the most for formidable football side in Ireland, Linfield had achieved the Cup and League double in, the eight, in 1891, 1892 and 1893. They had lost both titles during the 1894 season to Distillery and Glentoran respectively. And when they secured the Irish Football League for 1895, only Bohemians stood between Linfield reclaiming the double and therefore reaffirming their superiority over all other opponents in Ireland. In local competition, Bohemians continued to exert their superiority over their closest rivals. They retained the Leinster Cup by beating Dublin University in a replayed final by three goals to one in March 1895. Bohemians prepared for the Irish Cup final by making their first visit to Clongoswood College for a challenge match before the, week of the week before the game. At this time, both association and rugby football were played at Clongos, and it was reported in the, um, the journal of the Clongos, with the name of which escapes me, the Clongos journal, the student's journal, that the college was the alma mater of the Bohemian club. With so many former students amongst their playing ranks, the Bohemian team was, and this was a quote, entertained to dinner with that lavish hospitality for which the fathers are so justly famous. The Irish Challenge Cup final of 1895 took place in Belfast at Solitude, the home ground of Cliftonville Football Club, on the 23rd of March. A heavy downpour of rain reported on the morning did not deter a reputed crowd of about 2,000 spectators who attended the final. In the early exchanges, Bohemians were credited with some excellent passing and they created several attacking moves. From a throw-in, Bohemians forward Delaney gathered the ball and sent in a low shot which made the first goal for the visitors amidst loud cheering. So Bowes went one nil up early on. Somewhat shaken by the concession of an early goal, the Linfield response was immediate. They soon equalised through, through Gankroger and added a second soon after. Linfield added a third goal before half-time, during which, and this is a quote, the play of Morrow, the Dublin goalkeeper, was conspicuous. Although I think he was from Cork, so we mightn't have appreciated that. But Bohemians suffered a total and historical collapse in the second half, conceding a further seven goals to Linfield in what remains a record 10-1 defeat and victory to the respective clubs. The pain of that monumental defeat was still being echoed philosophically through the club some 40 years later. 
as E.J. O'Mahony mused that while, this is a quote, while that inglorious end represented a failure that would remain on record as long as football was football, it was a marvellous achievement for these young Dublin players to secure the honour of being the first Dublin club to contest the final. The case of the 1895 Irish Cup final illustrates the clash of cultures between us, the association football game in Dublin and Belfast. Neil Garnham has articulated the view that the shipyards and linen mills of industrialised Belfast ensured that association football became professionalised and commercialised to the extent that football took on the appearance of a business. The game in Dublin assumed, in large measure, a gentlemanly amateur ethos and it was primarily a game for players and participation and not for professionals and paying spectators. And this can, said to, this can be said to have been especially true for Bohemians, who were a club who officially retained its amateur ethos until 1969 and boasted many civil servants and medical students amongst its membership. Professionalism was sceptically viewed by the contemporary Dublin press, a somewhat vulgar corruption of the Victorian ethos of partaking in sport for the purpose of self-improvement. Amateur clubs such as Bohemians professed a moral authority over their professional counterparts due to a purity of ethos, and this was often best articulated after suffering a defeat on the field of play. Okay, so uh, this man, I mean, is well known. His name is inscribed on several buildings throughout Dublin uh, and several works of literature as well. Uh, and it's Oliver St. John Gogarty, and he, is he was one of Bohemian's most auspicious former players. He was a member of the squad by the start of the 1896-97 season. Uh, there, there apparently there seemed to be some dispute as to his registration. There's, there's reports that appear, appear in the press. He originally committed himself to the Freebooters Club, which were a club that played uh, in Sandymount, so not too far from here. Um, and he, he seems to have got himself out of that eventually, and he managed to, to play two seasons with Bohemians. As a former student of Clongo's and a keen athlete in training for a career in the medical profession, Gogarty was amongst his peers at the Bohemian Club. Gogarty became well known as a poet, an author and a senator in the Irish Free State. He was famed for his wit, wit and his debonair attitude to life and he, ex he inspired the character of Buck Mulligan in James Joyce's Ulysses. A deep suspicion of Buck Mulligan's motives and intention is maintained throughout Ulysses and this was a seemingly personal swipe by Joyce at his former friend. Uh, interestingly enough, Joyce's family moved to uh, St. Peter's Terrace, which is about, it's, it's only two houses, it's across the road from Daly Mount Park. Joyce's mother died in the house, and uh, it was there that Joyce came back to when he was kind of commandeered by his father to, to come home and cut his studies short. So I don't think he had a particularly fond memory of Fibsborough or his friend that played football in Daly Mount Park, or his former friends at the time. Uh, Bohemians retained their hold on the Leinster Senior Cup until the 1899-1900 uh, season, when they lost in a semi-final tie to Dublin rival Shelburne FC. For the next generation of Dublin Association footballers, it was this uh, rivalry with Shelburne which was to be the most contested in the capital. To a large extent, the efforts of the first generation of Bohemians players culminated in an Irish Cup Challenge final uh, at Grosvenor Park, Belfast, where they narrowly lost to Clifton Mills by two goals to one. So it was a much stronger performance and I presume they uh, felt some kind of redemption at the 10-1 defeat they suffered previously. Bohemians' position as pioneers of the game in Dublin, winning successful Leinster championships as they struggled to make an impact at national level, reflected the challenges which faced the club at the end of this period. In many respects, they set the agenda for a 30-year sporting journey for Bohemians and secured a strong position for the club to embark upon a 120-year sporting journey which is still ongoing today. 
and by the start of the new century, the amateur sportsmen qualified for their respective medical and civil service careers, and a new generation of players began, began to graduate from the ranks of the reserves into the first squad. This, I'm not entirely sure, and I can't say for any, I can't state categorically, but I think this, the previous slide was a notice of the um, sale which Daily Mount was purchased. You see a lot number two, and this appeared in the, this appeared in February, and by September, uh, the club had had purchased the ground and were playing there again. It's hard to state categorically. It'd probably involve a, a trip to the uh, Registry of Deeds, which I think I'll just leave it at that. Uh, the most significant event in the history of Bohemian Football Club took place on the 7th of September 1901 when Daly Mount Park was officially opened by the Lord Mayor of Dublin, Mr Tim Harrington. Before a crowd of 5,000 spectators, Bohemians defeated Dublin rival Shelburne FC by four goals to two in an exhibition match. It was Harold Sloan who earned the distinction of having scored the first goal at the new ground. About this time, season tickets were made available to the public for the modest sum of five shillings. The origins of Bohemians' association with the Fibsborough area date from this period and the nomadic club soon became a hub of community as its journey and fortunes became married to that of Dalymount Park and its regular patrons. From the outset, Bohemian's self-appointed position as moral custodians of the association code is evident with the missionary zeal with which they embarked upon the Daily Mount project. High-profile friendlies against Glasgow Celtic and Preston North End were organised during the first six months of Daily Mount's existence, and the strategy of securing the highest standard of opponent became central to the Bohemians' plan. In 1902, Bohemians took another significant decision when it became the sole Dublin representative in the Belfast-dominated Irish Football League. The difficulties faced by an amateur club travelling long distances to face superior opposition, coupled with the uncertain availability of team members due to professional commitments, ensured that Bohemians made little impact in this competition. Bohemians' initial seasons during their 12 years of active participation in the Irish League involved a few noteworthy victories and a final position of 7th or 8th in an 8-team league. The inclusion of fellow Dubliner Shelburne FC to the Irish League in a professional capacity from 1904, appears to have added some impetus to their campaigns, and Bohemians then regularly achieved fifth place and they kind of consolidate, consolidated their position as an Irish League side. While Bohemians struggled to mount a sustained league campaign, their pedigree as a formidable cup side continued to develop. They appear to have targeted the Irish Challenge Cup as their most realistic prospect of national honours during this period, no doubt encouraged by the belief that their amateur talents could defeat a professional counterpart on any one single occasion. A crowd of 6,000 spectators witnessed the first Irish Cup final to be staged at Daly Mount Park as Distillery overcame Bohemians by three goals to one in 1903. Both had to suffer the indignity of watching Shelburne become the first Dublin side to win the Cup in 1906 when they defeated Belfast Celtic in Daly Mount Park by two goals to nil. During the 1907-08 season, Bohemians embarked upon an exhaustive, hard-fought campaign to reach the Irish Cup final. Having suffered final defeats in 1895, 1900 and 1903, their route to the final in 1908 required replays in every round of the competition. As an Irish League side, Bowes entered the competition in the second round with a tie against Glentoran in Belfast, where the concession of a last-minute goal ensured that a replay was needed to secure a four-goals-to-one victory over at Dalymount Park. A two-goal lead was surrendered to Linfield at Windsor Park in the quarter-final before an impressive 2-1 victory at Dalymount Park was recorded. Uh, again, they also required another uh, replay to defeat Belfast Celtic and set up uh, the first All-Dublin Irish Challenge Cup final in 1908 against Shelburne, uh, again in Dalymount Park. 
The standout performance on the day was that of O'Hare, the reserve Bohemian goalkeeper, who saved two penalties and whose performance inspired the Irish Times to comment that nothing finer had been witnessed in Dublin for some time. This is an early sketch of the ground in 1907. It's, it's quite hard to see, but it appeared in the, in the uh, evening mail. Um, and it, it just gives a rough... Anyone that was familiar with, uh, with the area or with Daily Mount Park would probably recognise the modern ground from that. Although, noticeably, St Peter's Church doesn't appear to be in the background, which is a, a very conspicuous landmark. These are headlines taken from the Sunday Independent from that match, and uh, O'Hare, uh, the Bohemian's goalkeeper, who by all accounts was drafted in at the last minute, he had been a reserve keeper and he was the standout performer. Interestingly enough, he played such a, a good game in the first match, the game went to the following Saturday to a replay, but he, he was a rugby player as well. He played with Bective Rangers, and he was due to play in Lansdowne Road that day against Dublin University. So it's just interesting to think he was playing in Dalymount Park one Saturday and Lansdowne Road the next. The Sunday Independent reported on the replayed final that from the opening of the gates at 2 o'clock, the crowds poured in rapidly, and from that hour, the splendid band of Dublin Metropolitan Police convened things with a pleasing musical programme. The number of spectators was said to have been noticeably smaller than the previous encounter and the Freeman's Journal expressed the opinion that the prices of admission were considered too high for the occasion. And this was a common complaint of Dublin Press when the Irish Football Association were responsible for setting the tickets. And this is a constant tension that existed between the IFA and the clubs in Dublin. And I suppose within a generation they, they did eventually split and partition along political lines, which is why now we have the Northern Ireland and you know, the FAI, and whereas almost every other sport has managed to keep their sporting body as one. Where the fault lies is not exactly clear. So on the replayed final, Bohemians drew blood after the, after all, drew first blood, I beg your pardon, after only eight minutes, when a Harold Sloan strike came off the upright and was finished by Dick Hooper. Hooper added a second on the half-hour mark with a strike from distance that beat Riley in the Shelburne goal. A blistering first-half display from Bohemians concluded with a goal from younger brother William Hooper, which gave his side a three-goal cushion at half-time. Some questionable tactics employed by Shelburne in the second half saw several long delays in play after Bohemians Balfe, Thunder and O'Hare were knocked out by their opponents. And I suppose this is in the days before substitutions as well. Which, incidentally, I think they were clearly targeted. That's their captain, their main striker and their goalkeeper. So it's very uh, strategic. John Owens, who had, who had received a caution from the, London, by, from the London referee for his conduct, pulled one back for Shells, who ultimately failed to capitalise on their opponent's beleaguered state. Bohemian finished the game strongly, which ended with a Harold Sloan strike, which, came, which hit the back of the net after the final whistle, amidst reported scenes of uncontrolled celebration from players and supporters. The Irish Times commented that, No club that was ever formed in Dublin did so much to popularise and improve the game in Leinster as Bohemians, and these facts taken into consideration with the fine performance of their cup team this season, probably accounted for the remarkable scenes of enthusiasm which was witnessed at Daly Mount Park on Saturday after the final whistle. Then again are some headlines that I've taken from the Sunday Independent. I don't know if anyone ever goes over these things for, for information. The Sunday Independent is a great visual archive. Before anyone else, they seem to have etchings and headlines, and visually it's quite impressive. But their match report is quite poor, really. It's, it's almost a forerunner to a tabloid. Which I suppose it isn't really today, but uh, it's certainly, if anyone is ever looking over sports history, it's an interesting archive to look at. The next slide, this was the menu from the Bohemian Football Club dinner, which took place on the 25th of April 1908. Um, and uh, the, the cup was formally presented at a dinner, I suppose we're just used to seeing things presented on the pitch, but uh, uh, just from studying it, you take 
it wouldn't be that interesting to go into the story behind each picture, but there's a, there's a, a resident artist, obviously, in the club, and there is quite humorous anecdotes behind each of those cartoons, so I'm sure it provided some amusement on the night. Also, the menu, and it is quite hard to see there, um, it, it, it's quite an impressive uh, menu, and, and uh, five courses. Uh, of of the finest cuisine that Dublin had at the time, which was the Dolphin Hotel, which is now the Court Buildings. Um, I I can't remember exactly what street it's on. It's just off Georgia Street. The name of it's after Escape from Dublin. Um, and this was the the Bohemian side that won the Irish Challenge Cup in 1907-08. So again, if you just consider the almost the evolution of the pictures, which were presented extremely well in the the Maze of the Mountain, we see um, more more in terms of their understanding of the sport, they probably evolved to the point from the you know the ragtag of, of people that were sitting around a tree in the Phoenix Park. I'll finish by with a mention of Harold Sloan who uh, did earn the distinction of scoring the first goal that was ever scored in Dalymount Park and he, he really was the standout I suppose the star striker of his day. He was the middle, chi middle child of three brothers in a Presbyterian family from Scribblestown, County Dublin. He was a civil servant by profession and married Mabel Fitzgerald sometime after 1911. They lived their married life in Black Rock, South Dublin, and had one son who was born on the 21st of December 1913, who was also named Harold. Like over 200,000 Irishmen of his generation, Sloan enlisted in the British Army during the course of the First World War. The December 1914 edition of Sport, which was a Dublin-based sporting magazine, reported that Bohemians had lost up to 40 playing members to the military. Uh, and They were a sporting club, but they were also a, an association football club of several teams. They were quite proud of their reserve structure, uh, which I, I think at one point included about five teams. Um, so at this point in December 1914, this was the earliest peak period of the war when recruitment for the front was at its naively, naively enthusiastic peak. Sloan did not enlist until 1916, not long before the insurrection in the GPO of East, in Easter of that year. He was the second lieutenant in the Royal Garrison Artillery, 198 Siege Battalion, and was killed at Colm near the Somme in January 1917, and he was 37 years of age. So this picture appeared in the Irish Independent soon after his death. And I, I took that picture from the Commonwealth Graves Commission and the inscription on his headstone is printed underneath. His only son, Harold Jr., was said to have been a keen footballer during his school days who concentrated on playing tennis and hockey upon entering Trinity College where he later qualified as a surgeon. Like his father, he enlisted in the British Army upon the outbreak of international conflict and was also killed in action in 1940 while serving with the Royal Navy during the Second World War and Mabel Fitzgerald Sloan was to survive them both, having lost her husband and only son in the great conflicts of the 20th century. The young men who established the Bohemian Football Club would go on to lead decorated and diverse careers in the civil service, military, education, medical, legal professions and religious orders, to name but a few. It is likely that they would have taken opposing views of the great political questions of the day, giving their respective life paths and choice of allegiance. Nonetheless, the spirit with which they formed, established and developed their football club made an enduring impact on the city in which they lived and the sport which they played. This research suggests a context in which to understand the lives of those who found themselves at a crossroads in Irish history that is without an overtly political motive. The growth of Bohemian Football Club provided a unique distraction from everyday life and afforded the opportunity of channeling and time and energy into a positive means of professional and personal development. It may also provide an insight into the society which changed around it. Um, so we have some aerial shots of Daily Mount Park and the pictures will just run through to where we are today. As a sporting institution, the Bohemian Football Club has few parallels within the city of Dublin. 
None of its peers in the League of Ireland can claim such an influential role in shaping the earliest evolution of the sport in the city. It can also be said that none of Bohemian's peers of the early 1890s can claim to have withstood the explosion of change and religiously tainted political revolution of which their town stood on the brink. The Bohemian Football Club remains the most tangible link that the game of soccer in Dublin has between its earliest days and its current situation. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Dublin City Public Libraries and Archive podcast. To hear more, please subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also visit our website, dublincitypubliclibraries.ie, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter.